How's everyone doing? Can we get these other lights up on too? Or are they just they need a little extra light? Well, thank you. That was wonderful, wasn't it? A little little prayer and I love that. I like I like that. That's kinda cool. Little, yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to the epistle, letter of James, the book of James. We started uh, James last week with uh, just an introduction to the book, um, and I'm excited. We're, we'll get back to Genesis in a while, but we want to we want to take some time to uh, to study this this um, very practical letter. And uh, <clears throat> James, um, I'll see how far we get today, somewhere in the first chapter. James, of course, is, uh, he is actually a brother of Jesus. And uh, I mentioned that last week, but I failed to, ex- to I, take you, I took you to the scripture, but I didn't take you far enough. So just as a sort of warm up here, I want you to go to, uh, actually go back to Acts, the book of Acts in chapter one. I want to show you. Uh, a scripture in Acts and a scripture in Galatians. So go to Acts 1. And James, of course, we know he uh, did not believe in Jesus, his brother, during uh, Jesus' ministry. And we saw that from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, where uh, 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 Jesus uh, uh, indicates that. Uh, James and his, uh, Jesus' other brothers did not believe in him. But we do know that after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to James. If you, go to, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it mentions that. He actually appeared to his brother. And we do know that Jesus and his brothers became believers. There's another brother that's, that's in the Bible. His name is Jude. But in, um, in Acts chapter 1, uh, I had you go there last time, but I didn't read far enough, so... Maybe because I just wasn't feeling great. Um, but Acts 1, um, it mentions in verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem called, uh, from the mount called Olivet near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they entered the upper room, and they were uh, saying, that is Peter, J- John, and James, and Andrew. This is, that's not the right James. That's, that's James, the disciple. Philip, Bar, uh, Thomas, Bartholomew, he's also known as Nathaniel. Uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, so there's two James in his 12. Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, different James, his letter, it's a common name. But watch this. These were all with one mind, were continually devoted themselves to prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with who? His brothers. His brothers. Now, we do know that after Paul meets Jesus, uh, he, uh, he ends up meeting with some of the key people in the church. And I want to go to Galatians, go to the book of Galatians, and chapter 1. Galatians um, is to your right, and uh, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians after 2 Corinthians, but Galatians 1, <clears throat> Paul mentions James, actually. He says uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, 
and stayed with him 15 days. So Paul gets saved. He, he starts sharing the gospel. Eventually he meets with some of the main disciples. He meets with Peter, uh, probably to go over things. And, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So we do know that, 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 uh, um, that this James and the James that writes the scripture is the Lord's brother. So now go back to the, gospel, or to the book of James. And James introduces himself. And of course, we said last week that, that James is a very practical book. And very, very, hey, how do I know that you really have faith? Show me your faith. Your faith is going to be demonstrated in your life. It's going to come out. You're not gonna, it's not going to hide, right? It's going to affect how you live. And James is going to highlight that portion that faith really works. It really demonstrates or shows itself you know, to be real. And James uses a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I had a, a lot of scripture. I shared some of them last week. But throughout the book of James, he's basically taking the Sermon on the Mount and almost applying it, right? Very practical. And James is writing to churches that he's actually uh, being a shepherd, and he's addressing some practical needs, right? But it's interesting how he starts his, 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 uh, his letter. He goes, James, a servant of God, right? Or a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can actually translate it, James, um, um, a servant of Jesus Christ who is God, our Lord. That's another way you can translate it. They're, the Jesus and God are actually the same, right? There's, there's one. But he says, he doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't say James, I got extra clout because Jesus is my brother. You guys, in fact, he doesn't refer himself as to a brother of Jesus. We have to figure that one out. He says, I'm a bondservant of God. Now, a bondservant, of course, uh, Paul refers to himself as a bondservant. Bondservant is a um, sort of a, a, a slave by choice. And a bondservant is one who, is, who understands that I'm the slave, Jesus is the master. Like that's the start of Christianity. The start of Christianity is recognizing that he is the Lord. When Paul first meets Jesus, Jesus knocks him off his course, right, on the road to Damascus. The first thing that Paul says in, according to Acts 22, you know, who are you, Lord, or what shall I do, Lord? You know, what, who are you, Lord? <laughs> you can't, the start of Christian life is recognizing who's Lord and who's not Lord. See, it's our problem in, in, the, in the world today is that we want to be our own Lord's. But when you met Jesus Christ, when you finally, when you actually meet him and recognizing he's Lord and I'm his slave, then your life takes a different, because you don't live according to your will, you live according to his will. What matters is what he says, right? That's the shift that has to happen. The rest of the letter has to flow from that. And James says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In fact, go back to Galatians. I want to show you something. I'm going to... We're going old-fashioned Bible study here, okay? We're getting into the Word. It's my job here. Galatians, go back to Galatians. Um, both Galatians and James are very early books that were written. Um, but in Galatians 1, Paul says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I, trying to, or am I striving to please men? Catch this. 
if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let me read it again. If I were still trying to please men, if I'm trying to please people, if I'm trying to please myself or impress others, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that when you follow Christ and he is your Lord, so there's there are some people trying to make the distinction. He's my Savior. and he's, No, no. He is your Savior and your Lord. No one in heaven calls him Savior only. They call him Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords is what he is, right? God of gods. He is, he is, there's no name greater than Jesus Christ. You can't be saved without him being your Lord. And Paul recognizes, and James recognizes, that if Christ is your Lord... He's your master, then you live to please him, not others. How much of our life is wasted by worrying about pleasing people? Worrying about what people think. At the end of the day, it's our Lord who we stand before, right? It's our Lord who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And James says, I'm James and I'm a servant. I'm a slave, the actual word is. And I'm trying to please him, no one else. And you can make your life so much simpler if you just live with that. I want to please God. It makes life so much so easier to know. My one agenda is to please God. Now let's go back to James. <clears throat> let's get into the book. He says, to the twelve tribes which are dispersed abroad, greetings. Verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But the, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. And the sun rises with a scorching wind, and withers the grass, and its flowers falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. James starts off his letters knowing he's writing to people that are um, going through some difficulties. We know in the book of, of James, he's writing to those who have, uh, uh, the poor who have been, who have been uh, mistreated uh, by some rich people that may or may not be in the church. Uh, we know that there are people who are mistreating one another by how they talk. Uh, there's people who are mistreating others who are, who are um, being sort of uh, prejudiced against them. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, right, in their lives. And James, of course, he says, he starts off knowing that life is going to give you stuff, right? You can't live in this world very long without realizing that there's going to be trouble in this world. How many of you guys like to avoid trouble? 
That day will come when you enter heaven. There may be some days when we don't have as much trouble as others, uh, others, but we are not guaranteed having, I hate to say that, but at the same time, James gives us a perspective about trials. He says, that's my first, my, let's tag the first verses two through four, my, the perspective in trials. He says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I don't know about you, that is complete opposite than natural thinking, right? Count, my, think, my saying would be, count it all joy when you get out of the trials, right? Count it all joy, joy, joy when you have no trials, right? Count it all joy when you're like, oh, that trial's over, thank God, right? But James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. James, what are you talking about? I want to live my life without trials, amen? I, I want to have a trialless life. And James says, but let me give you a different perspective about trials. There's joy that's possible because of trials. That's com- Again, it's contrary to the way we naturally think. We so, I'm, I'm not saying go out and look for trouble. Don't look for trouble. Don't try to make trouble happen. Trouble will find you anyway, you know. No matter how, more you, how much you prepared, how well you try to avoid if God wants trial and troubles, he'll let it happen. I imagine that, that these people were, uh, were feeling distressed and feeling, what am I going through? Why is it so hard? You know, I thought, I, I finally Jesus. But when you decide to follow Jesus, right, and he's your Lord and you're his master, if you're following Jesus, there's a couple things involved. There's a cross involved, amen? Before there's a crown, and we want to follow Jesus without the cross. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up that cross. By the way, the world's going to hate you. Why are we so wanting to please the world? Why is the church so concerned with trying to get on the world's good side? The world even spits out its own, doesn't it? The world mistreats its own. Why are we trying to look good for the world? Why? Jesus says, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. Let's just, let's just get that determined and realize, I'm here to follow Christ and to please my Lord and Master. I'm not going to be a jerk about you. I'm going I'm to be kind. I'm going to be loving. But I'm not going to worry about the world, world standards. I'm not going to try and impress the world. You know what's going to impress the world? You following Jesus Christ faithfully, sincerely, Without compromise. That's what the world may be impressed with. But guess what? They may still reject you. Who cares? I'm not looking for the applause of the world. Yay, yay, yeah. Get your 15 minutes of fame and then you're gone, right? How much time do we spend trying to please the world, trying to look good and trying to, you know, at the same time? Okay, next, right? And James says, consider it joy. Let me give you a different perspective. He says, count it or consider joy. The word consider is the Greek word hegemai. It means to regard. It means to, it's actually a mental word, not an emotional word. So that's where we get it wrong. We think James is saying, feel joy about your trial. No, 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 no. There's a consideration. There's a perspective. He says, think in this way. And it's a word that actually also means to think ahead, right? To have a, a, an opinion of, 
trials in life. I want you to have this perspective, this opinion of the trials. It denotes um, a, a, a conviction. And here's what it is. It, uh, the, the Greek indicates it's a settled conviction about trials. I want you to settle in your mind once and for all this perspective about trials, that there's something good that happens in trials, right? That there can be joy as a result of the trials. Consider that. Determine that. Have that settled conviction in your heart so that when you go through things, it's not going to be like, whoa, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Why am I going through this, right? You're like, no, I know that this is going to be used. For example, here's maybe not the best example, okay? My mom's here, and so this is in honor of my mom. When we were kids, we had chores, and we worked hard, right? Uh, we had, I mean, I'm talking like, we, we worked really hard, my brother and I. And at the time, I mean, what kids like, who, how many kids like to do chores, right? I mean, they're really, you know, wash the floors, clean, clean the bathroom. I mean, it was like, you know, and at the time, like, what in the world? I don't like that. I'm like, can I go play, you know? And now I'm an adult. And the trial <laughs> of having to do chores did something in me where now I can do the cleaning and do the things and it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't wear on me, right? There, there's something good that happened. It, 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 been, it gave me some character, right? Gave me some discipline. A good work ethic, right? At the time, I didn't like it. At the time, it was like miserable. But having gone through that, you're like, hey, that was worth it. James says, have that conviction. Have that settled understanding or think in your mind that these trials God is using to do something in your life. God doesn't waste any time with what he sends your way whether it's times of rest or times of tribulation. He's using it. Consider it joy. In fact, the word there, it talks about how Jesus, uh, it's the same idea in, uh, in Hebrews 12. It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of God. Paul writes in Philippians 3, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted, considered as loss for the sake of Christ. I have determined that whatever I had in this world, what I had as a rabbi, whatever I had, you know, the accolades, I considered as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. More than that, I, I, I count all things to be loss in surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So James is not saying, here's how you should feel in trials. He's saying, no, here's your perspective in trials. Have the joy, right? It's like Jesus says in John 16 about how a woman who goes through tremendous pain in childbirth, right? He says, when a a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. That's the tribulation. That's the trial. But when she gives birth to the trial, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that trial has been born. That's the idea here, right? When you get, when you're, ladies, when you're pregnant, you know the baby's going to come and you know you're going to have to deliver that baby with or without the epidural, C-section, whatever. There's going to be pain involved, discomfort involved, but you know it's going to be worth it because the baby's coming. 
She's like, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, undo, I'll endure that because I know something good's coming up. That's what he's saying. Consider it. Reckon it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The word encounter means to, to suddenly fall upon something. It's not like you're looking for trouble. It's coming, and it comes unexpectedly. Now, in this... Um, in this section here, James is going to talk about trials. And trials is the word that can be translated trials as if trials from without and temptations from within. It's the same word. Here we're thinking it's from, you know, uh, the trials that are coming without. Uh, this, this testing, the word here for trials means to, to test, to learn the character of something. And this goes on with the rest of the book. James says, how do I know, how do you know that your faith is real? Because I don't want to come at the end of my, my life and say, well, that was a waste. No, I want to know, is this real? And so guess what? It's, you're put to the test. And so the trial, the, the trials uh, the, that is, that's going on is there to learn the nature of something. Is your faith genuine or is it strong or does it need some work, right? And so thank God for the trials. Because if it's real, hey, Okay, so, you know, they, you know, you can, um, you can test out if something's genuine. Like, so like, you know, if you have, like, say, a, a ring or a, a diamond, right? And you know, get, get, guy gives the girl, you know, a diamond ring, let's say, for engagement or wedding, whatever, you know. And of course, you know, it looks all pretty, you know, you know, and and it's a, but you really want to know: is this real? <laughs> is this genuine, right? I got to put it to the test, you know. It's authentic. And God and James says, here have this the trials will come to test it out, to determine its character. First Peter says, Peter says in First Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Our trials come. Have that perspective. Understand. And the difficulties, he says, are various. They're multicolored. Trials will come upon you guys that may not come upon Kim. And trials, there are various different kind of trials that God will allow. And they're all there to test and to prove the character of your faith. James says, have that perspective. When that happens. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> that's cool in all, James. That's cool, right? Having that perspective. But if I'm going to go through something, I want to know what's the point, <laughs> right? Don't you? I mean, I know there's a perspective I have to have, but I got to know what the point of the trials is. So in verse 3, he says, listen, you can have that joy. You can have that consideration that the testing is there for a reason. But here's, the, here's what he says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James says, listen, joy is possible in trials if you know there's a point. I don't know about you guys. I want to know what's the point of all this, right? Why am I going through this, right? Because if I don't have to go through it, I want, I want to know, is this going to accomplish something? And God has such interest in your life and your faith that he will use whatever means possible 
to get you from your raw, not say raw faith, but your um, immature faith, let's say, your, your, you know, he wants to develop you, right? Um, that he will bring up. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So what is God doing in the trials? God is purifying faith in trials. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith, verse 3, and the word testing there, of course, means to prove the genuineness, that it's not fake, it's not counterfeit, it's the real deal, it's genuine. God will use that trial, whatever it is, whether it's financial difficulties, whether it's marriage difficulties, whether it's economic difficulties, whether it's health difficulties, or all the above, or something else. He is going to use that to purify your faith, to make you a stronger believer. And here's what God does. In the midst of the trials, this is really what, in the midst of the trials, it's all to refine, to purify your faith. What that means is this. Before you met Jesus Christ, you lived your life for who? Me, right? I'm the king, I'm the lord of, this, of my life, right? Before you met Christ. When you came to Christ, there had to be a change. I'm a bondservant of Christ. But of course, you understand you're a servant of Christ, but in living practicality, you still think very much independently, don't you? And so through trials, you learn to shift from independence from God to dependence upon God. Trials cause you, because before, when you were living on your own and relied on yourself, when trials come, you realize, I can't rely on myself. And trials come to teach you to lean and to rely on God. And your faith is only as good and only as strong as the one upon whom you're leaning, right? This thing's about to break. If I, if I lean on this, this, this pulpit, this old, old pulpit, if I lean on this, it's going to break because it's not strong enough to hold me up. Trials teach you that whatever I'm leaning upon, relying on, my faith is only as good as upon. And trials are meant to shift you from relying on yourself your own methods of getting you out, your own ways of manipulating things to shift to say, I have to rely only on God himself, only on the rock, only on Jesus Christ. Amen? And trials do that. God uses the difficulties of life to refine our faith, heating it in the crucible of suffering so that the impurities might be refined away so that it might become pure and valuable to, before the Lord. The testing of faith here then is not intended to determine whether a person has faith or not. It is intended to purify the faith that already exists. Testing is meant to purify that faith. It's there, but I'm going to get the impurities out. Paul writes in Romans 5, he goes, that we exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings up per about perseverance steadfastness endurance and that perseverance proven character and proven character hope so god uses the trials <coughs> excuse me to increase 
our reliance upon him to purify our faith. When you go through trials, there's some trials you go through that literally will bring you to your knees, amen? I mean, God has allowed something in your life. Unexpectedly, something you didn't expect that was bigger than you could handle. By the way, let me just fix some, some false teaching out there. God will give you more than you can handle. People will say, God won't give you more than you can handle. No, actually, that's a wrong interpretation of a different verse. No, temptation, he will allow you to, take, uh, allow you to experience without providing a way of escape. But he better will, and he will give you more than you can handle. So those memes, those people out there teaching that nonsense, no, God does give you more, because if he didn't give you more than you can handle, you wouldn't actually be leaning on God. You'd be leaning on yourself. And the gospel truth, you better believe that God, <clears throat> your child has cancer. Now you can rely on yourself. You're going to go on your face before God. Your marriage has been destroyed. You're, you're now finding yourself divorced and in shambles, and you're going to lean on your, upon yourself. No, God gives you more than you can handle so that you can lean on Him, not on yourself. And, God sa- and James says, Don't be, uh, consider a joy when you encounter various trials. What do they look like? Because there's a point to it. The point is that the, the, the testing of your faith, God's going to do something. He's going to purify your faith. But He also does this. He produces endurance in you through the trials. Look what it says here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. How many guys have a different translation than, what do you have? Patience. Perseverance. Perseverance. Um, <clears throat> it produces endurance. Now, the word produced there. It means to, to accomplish with the sense of to put something into effect entirely. It produces entirely to fulfill endurance. Now this word endurance is the word uh, hupomeno. The word meno, it means to abide. Jesus says abide in me right? in, in the Gospel of John, right? Uh, or you, can, you know, uh, the, the branch is to abide in the vine, right? Um, the word hupo is to mean under. And the idea is to, to, to remain under the stress. To, to, um, to have the, the endurance to stay under the stress. So if I have a, a heavy pack on me, and I'm, I, the, the stress of it, the endurance is the fact you're able to lean, stay under that. Um, it's the capacity to bear up in the face of difficulty. Um, carrying this heavy load for a long time. Some of us have been going through trials for a long time, and you've been carrying the stresses of all that. God uses that in your life to develop the endurance, the steadfastness to stay under that. Um, some people work out, right, and they go for a run with extra weight on them because they want them to, to get even more stronger, right? Is that more stronger or just stronger? Take out the word, yeah. Double negative. Oh. Trials God uses to produce endurance through that. Um, that you're remaining on this load. And sometimes some of the loads we, 
are for a long time, but God uses that to strengthen our faith. It's like a, a muscle that has the resistance, right? The weightlifter has, and, and if he only, you know, if he lifts, you know, a little, you know, little, little you know, uh, Joshua is in college now, he, he's starting to work out, which is kind of cool, and we were talking about working out. I said, well, if you want, if you want, if you want mass, if you want to become bigger, you need to lift heavier weights, right? Lifting a little simple dumbbell by itself won't give you a lot of, you know, but if you really really want to get big, the heavier weights, right? But don't start off with that, you know, ease your way into it, you know, but eventually you're, the trials are like that. They're meant like a muscle to develop your faith. You learn to remain faithful to God. And there's times you, you want to quit. There's times, you want to, there's times you're like, Lord, I can't take this. I can't. And again, you're leaning now on God. Where then in those times you say, Lord, he goes, I will give you what you need. You see that? Uh, there's an uh, example in, uh, Paul talks about he had a, a thorn in his flesh, right? Uh, and, he, and he prayed three times that God would take it away. Lord, please take this away. Please. And Christ said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm giving you this trial to bear under, and you're going to rely on me because my grace is sufficient. You see that? The pure, now your, your faith has is, is been purified. Now it's producing this endurance because you're learning to tap in to God himself. And sometimes it's a moment-by-moment reliance. Amen? You know, we're not going to get that far in this book today because <laughs> take my time. Thirdly, God is also perfecting you in trials. He is, he is purifying your faith in trials. He is producing the endurance you know, before I got sick, I was training for a marathon, right? And uh, so in your marathon training, you have to run a lot, doy, right? And you have some short runs, and you have some long, long runs. And, you know, I had like, a, you know, like an 18-mile run a few weeks before we got sick. Built up the endurance. I couldn't run 18 miles the first day. I had to train over several months to get to that point. You know, and that's what the tr- the trials do. They give you the endurance because you know you're used to that. Now you're relying on God. Puts oh, oh, and and, you, and maybe there's a day you're like, Lord, can you just take it away from now. And and it's it's all purifying and maturing your faith to rely on Him day by day, moment by moment. That's really what it's about. To go from independence from God to complete dependence upon God. You say, Lord, what your will is. It purifies that faith, right? So third, he perfects you in trials. Look what he says in verse 4, James 1, 4. And let endurance or steadfastness or patience or whatever word that was used, let endurance have its perfect result or its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is going gonna, gonna, gonna to show us is that the key to maturity in the Christian life 
is not just experiencing the trials, but it's how you respond to the trials. There's a lot of people who have been going to churches for many years that are still infant Christians because they have never learned how to rely on God. They still rely upon themselves, and they haven't grown. And God has still allowed the trials to come. And it's all about how you respond to the trials. We'll look at that next week because he says he can give us a clue about how to properly respond to trials. But maturity happens in the midst of facing the trials. More and more learning to rely less on self and more on God. He says, let steadfastness or, or endurance have its perfect result. The benefits of this testing come only to believers who respond to them in the right way. Christians must allow endurance to do its perfect result. He says, he says let endurance have its perfect result. What does that mean? The, the, the word there is telling on, or t- from the word telos, which means to be complete or mature. Let endurance have its mature result. Ah, so that's now we'll go back a step back here. James says, consider it joy when you count various trials. Because the testing produces steadfastness, and steadfastness will lead to maturity. Right? That's what it's all about. Amen? And that endurance have its perfect result. Um, this has to do with being mature, this, uh, being an adult, um, um, being um, complete in a sense. Uh, Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, he uses the same word. He says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What is that? I was like, what does that mean? Does, does, am I, I'm not perfect. No, it means to be complete and mature. It's all about developing our faith to be mature. That's why when trouble comes, we've faced it before, we rely on God, and there's a maturity that says, okay, I know God's using this. It's not comfortable as I'm going through it, but God's using it to develop my faith. Right? He's using it to mature my faith. And God wouldn't have brought you to birth and left you that way without understanding to get you to grow and mature. Right? You look at the Gospels, you look at the writings of Paul, he talks about all the, struggle, the, the, the persecutions, the afflictions, the turmoil, everything he went through. In fact, Jesus says, yeah, this man's going to suffer greatly from me. Being a Christian means following a cross, following Jesus Christ. And with that is trouble. But with that is also maturity, spiritual maturity. So God is perfecting us in the trials. This word complete also refers to an idea of wholeness, where it's sound, where it's, where it's, where it's not, um, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's all there, right? It's not, um, uh, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's not impure, right? So the testing develops and purifies our faith, and, and God is purifying us to make us complete and mature in the sense of, of wholeness, having integrity. To shape those areas of our life, to sort of remove the, the difficulties. And I'm learning in my own life, I mean the flesh is still there, but I, I'm learning, um, Lord, why I, I, um, 
I still have a lot of impurities in my heart, right? I have still a lot of, you know, the way I sometimes respond to my wife or talk to my kids or just, you know, or maybe I'm just unloving, unthoughtful, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, that's not, oh, that doesn't, that's not Christ-like. And, and I'm learning, and, and, as it's, and, and when I'm learning as, as God is trying to mature, is before when that was pointed out to me, I reacted with, oh, no, no, because I was pride, you know? But as you grow mature, you realize, yeah, you're right, you know? You learn to respond to, hey, that's, there's some impurity there. And, and maturity says, you know, you're, you're right, you know, and to acknowledge that. That's, that's, that's part of the process, right? And James says, consider that joy. Because God's maturing you. He's not leaving you an infant, baby Christian. He's wanting to grow you and mature you so that you become more and more Christ-like and mature. He says, <clears throat> And let endurance, verse 4, we'll finish with verse 4, verse four. let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Same word, teleos, perfect, mature, means something that's fully accomplished, it's finished, uh, it's, it's also whole, it's sound. Um, and th- what God's desiring here is Christ-likeness. Less of me, more of He, Right? That will tweet, right? Less if he, more of me, right? And that's, that's what it's about. Um, one commentator says um, this idea of, of completeness has to do with also moral integrity. Uh, more of Christ coming out. Um, that, that God himself is holy and righteous and set apart from sin and he's purifying work of faith to make us that way too. And the best way to test out if that's happening is to bring trials. There's a, our, a professor at seminary, um, Daryl Dell, who say, um, he used to say, if you want to find out what's in a person, give them a little bump, like a cup of coffee. You bump the coffee, and you, you want to find out what's, you know, that's trials, right? And the more you go through it, the more, hopefully it's being purified so that rather than, you know, violence coming out, it's grace and forgiveness and patience, right? That comes out. So thank God for trials. Amen? That God would use that difficult, seemingly stressful, but yet God uses that as a tool to purify the most precious thing He's given you, which is faith in Christ. Let that have its complete result. This, uh, this, this work that I'm doing you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is going to continue with, the, with, with um, what these trials may have looked like. But in our lives, have you considered it joy, the trials you've gone through? Have you, do you have that perspective now? James saying, now I have the perspective. Now you see from the, from the beginning to the end, I'm like, oh, God's using that to, to bring me to a point of maturity and character and steadfastness and endurance because true, true faith doesn't give up because God doesn't give up. And how did I get there? The trials, the testing. Okay, Lord, then give me grace to learn how to rely on you during those trials and less on me. Help me to be mature in that and purify my heart of any impurities that are there. Use those trials 
and allow me to respond appropriately in faith, relying on you, so that what is produced and the result is complete, it's mature, it's whole, lacking in nothing. Well, that's the start. That's, two verses, three verses today? Four verses? All right, that's okay. We're getting there, verse by verse, word by word. God's word is rich, amen? He is good. Why don't we stand up? And uh, I think I had three sermons prepared for today, and <laughs> I got only got through the first one. So I'm excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited. This is a this is a good book, and uh, I love just feeding on His Word. And by the way, speaking of His Word, you won't grow unless you're in His Word. Don't wait till Sunday to open up your Bible. Amen. It will feed your soul. Consider it. Make a steadfast decision to say, I'm going to commit to God and His Word. Read His Word. Soak in it. Spend time in it. We watch, I'm a, I'm, I feel ashamed how much TV I watch. I'm, TV's fun, right? YouTube's fun, right? Come on, we all know this. Let's be real, right? But break away. Break away from all that to, to, to be in His Word. God will speak to you. You won't grow to maturity. You won't hear from Him. May He send you more trials to, to bring you to your knees, to be in His Word if He has to. But be in His Word. Anyway. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for for your word thank you for the fact that you use trials in our lives to develop us to mature us to to purify our faith to to do wonderful things lord i pray that you would give us the 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 wisdom lord of knowing how to respond and to rely more and more on you god and i pray for everyone who's watching online anyone's here that whatever trial you may they may go on through lord that you would give grace and that we would turn to you more and more, and that you would bring each one of us, Lord, to maturity in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm going to say the we're going to say the the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face come up. Say, say it with me. Make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. And give you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you, Nick, for wonderful worship. Thank you for all the prayers. Um, Wednesday, guys, on Zoom, we may just spend some time in prayers. Men, praying. Uh, we want to be praying men anyway. Friday, we've got the uh, students coming. Students, if you're coming, bring your Bibles. Okay, we're going to be in the Word. And then um, we'll have a marriage thing in a couple weeks. So anyway... God bless. Take care. We'll see you later.